This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by HostGator.com. Do you need to launch your own website? If you're looking for one of the easiest ways to register, host, and build your site, you should check out HostGator.com. They have tools to help you get started immediately, whether you're transferring a domain or building your site from scratch. So, you know, all you fans who want to open up, here's a look at my robotguts.com or drcorbyforever.net or kenissecretlyarobot.org. You can just head over to HostGator.com and have that up before we're done with today's episode. Speaking of DrCorbyForever.net, a .net address is the best way to get a good domain name these days. Grab your .net today. It gets better, though. HostGator has 24-7 tech support on the phone, live chat, or email, and you can choose from shared or dedicated servers. All that plus packages that include unlimited storage and unlimited bandwidth. Order now with the coupon code MISSIONLOG, and you'll get 30% off at HostGator.com. Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 74, Requiem for Methuselah. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Today's show... Who mourns for Brahms? I mean, uh, uh, what is Leonardo da Vinci made of? I mean, uh, no, 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 uh, Requiem for Methuselah. Hey, there it is, Requiem for Methuselah, <laughs> yeah. there you go. You know, with all those names you were throwing around, though, John, I'm curious, what of Lazarus? Okay. <laughs> oh! Yeah, let's oh. get that in there quick and we'll move on, because we okay, gotta please. move on, because we had a lot to do. This is the show where we, uh, take apart an episode of Star Trek, we, we watch it, we watch it again, we might even watch it at you know, third, fourth, fifth time to try to suss out the messages, morals, and meanings in a given episode and figure out whether the whole thing stands the test of time. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And sometimes our listeners will tell us when we're wrong one way or the other. And you, too, can talk back to us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, all three places. And the handle is Mission Log Pod. Uh, you can also call us at 323-522-5641. You can even email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. There is one other thing that we do every week, and when I say we, I do, of course, mean he. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I give you John Champion and his Trivia Nation. Oh, here we go. All right. Trivia Nation. Yeah. Um, this episode of Star Trek Requiem for Methuselah was written by Jerome Bixby. And I've mentioned a film that he made uh, before um, when we talked about one of his earlier episodes. I mentioned Man from Earth. That is a, uh, a film that was shot posthumously. Uh, so this was his last screenplay. And I just have to tell you, if you like this episode of Star Trek Requiem for Methuselah, then you need to go out now, pause the podcast, and watch that movie. Because it shares a lot of DNA with Requiem. Similar themes, similar premise. Um, it's kind of like Bixby doing his greatest hits, uh, but it, it kind of works here for some reason. Um, that's one of those things you can write back to me and tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, 
Of course, Bixby's other Trek credits leading up to this point, Mirror Mirror, by any other name, Day of the Dove. And, uh, of course, we know Jerome Bixby from other great science fiction works that he did. Of course, he contributed to Twilight Zone, many, many other shows. So uh, it was kind of great to have a send-off for Jerome Bixby here. Um, oh, and by the way, this episode, I always found this very entertaining. It is name-checked, uh, the title of the episode, at the beginning of the movie Free Enterprise. So, Ken, obviously you remember and many of our listeners remember when we had Mark Altman on as a guest and uh, he was the co-writer of Free Enterprise. And there's this great scene at the beginning where Rob, the character Rob, is having this argument with his girlfriend. And I'm paraphrasing, but she basically says, I don't care about Requiem for the Martian. And you, you just you see the gears turning in his head. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you're thinking the same thing, too. And then he just corrects her, Methuselah. It's Requiem for Methuselah. And he gives the date it premiered. And it's just it's great. If you're a geek, you will so appreciate that moment and a movie that you will appreciate entirely. Uh, the actor James Daly, who plays Flint in this episode, had a very distinguished career starting on the stage at a very young age uh he appeared in the twilight zone episode a stop at willoughby which uh do you remember that one ken uh, the uh, the guy on the train and uh he finally gets off the train at willoughby i won't spoil it for you but but he does uh no okay watch it it's great all right it's a terrific episode all right. um i can name like three episodes of star trek there are a bunch of others that i've seen but i can name like maybe three you mean Twilight Zone? Yeah, what did I say? And Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true of Star Trek. If you that's, can name if three that's what I said, that's Star absolutely Trek. true. One yeah. of them is Corbin Might Maneuver. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and I, today, today, one of them is Requiem from Methuselah. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, so Twilight Zone, there are maybe three episodes that I can name. Uh, to Serve Man, was that actually the name of an episode? Yeah, no, uh, right. it sure was. Nightmare yeah. at 20,000 Feet. Yeah, okay, good. An Occurrence at Elk Creek Bridge. Oh, good. Well, now you know a fourth. Let's stop at Willoughby. Yeah, dude, I've already forgotten that. Please <laughs> right. continue, though. I well, it stars James Daly. And uh, he, he appeared in many other great TV shows. And particularly, he did a lot of those early uh, Playhouse type series, like Playhouse 90, where you're doing live theater on TV. is very cool. He is the father of Tyne Daly who you may remember from Cagney and Lacey, Tim Daly from Wings. Um, he died at the relatively young age of 59. He was still working quite a bit. He was actually kind of between gigs there when uh, he passed away. Uh, Louise I'm Sorrell. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm blown away. Tyne Daly and Tim Daly are brother and sister. Yeah. I did not know that. Now you know. Yeah, don't uh, Wings is good, by the way, but really you want to mention yeah. Diner when you're talking about Tim Daly. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's I mean, that's that's like the movie. I, I looked to see if either of them had starred in uh, Kolchak, the Night Stalker, and I, <laughs> n- neither of them have. So, uh, but one of them, one of them is one step from Kevin Bacon. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, there is that, too. Let's just right. throw everything in. We will. We will. Uh, Louise Sorrell, who played Raina, did a lot of uh, TV, including a very long stint on Days of Our Lives. Uh, she has a couple of great Shatner crossover credits that I have to mention. Uh, Route 66. They were in an episode together. Barbary Coast, which, of course, I mentioned was the TV show that Shatner had in the early 70s. And one of my favorites, Airplane 2. Um, also want to mention that uh, the character Reina, Reina Kopek, 
That is an anagram for Chopek, Carol Chopek, who is the author of R.U.R., a play. He's a Czech playwright, uh, which came out in 1927. And that is the first place where, uh, in popular culture, was coined the term robot, though robot did not mean automaton, if you have read the original play. Um, in fact, what they were uh, was kind of genetically engineered beings with no free will. But robot then sort of took off and became our idea of a uh, a mechanical human being. Uh, well, they're not a human being if they're mechanical. They're mechanical. I <laughs> <laughs> um, also want to mention that uh, they use the three-foot shooting model of the Enterprise for the uh, the scene of the frozen ship in Flint's castle. Um which is interesting to me for a lot of reasons. You know, for some reason I had in my mind for a long time that the view screen on the bridge was a view screen, but here it's definitely a window, you know, when Kirk kind of peers inside and he just sees everybody frozen in, in place, um, unless the electronics are still running even while everything is frozen. Um, but the thing is, that model was the very first Enterprise ever built. That was kind of the reference model for the giant 11-foot shooting model that came later. So they built it in a, a late 1964, and it was used for most of the shots in the cage. Uh, not all, but the, the vast majority were used in the cage. And it later sat on Gene Roddenberry's desk, and it's been missing since the late 1970s. Um, it was on his desk, it got loaned out, and uh, apparently he forgot who he loaned it to, and now nobody knows where it is. And by the way, I checked it out with our executive producer, uh, Rod Roddenberry. Uh, he says that, yeah, he knows about it. Um, he has been accused of throwing it in the pool when he was young. He <laughs> says, and just for the record here, he definitely did not throw that model in the pool. Okay. Have you asked him, though, about playing with it in the tub? Uh, no, no. That'll be our next conversation. You know, you kind of have to love an episode of Star Trek that basically starts with a trip to the pharmacy. Prologue. The Enterprise is on a search for Ritalin. Uh, wait, sorry. Uh, try that again. The Enterprise is on a search for Ritalin because it is the only element that can cure the outbreak of Rigelian fever on board. On a planet in the Omega system, a small landing party of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down, and they think it's uninhabited. Then Nomad shows up. Well, it's kind of like Nomad, but built out of a colander. It's definitely dangerous, and it can probably drain pasta too. Then an old man, our man, Flint, shows up. He says they've got to get out of there. Act one, spoiler alert, they don't get out of there. Okay, there's some begging and pleading. Flint is very insistent that the landing party must go back to their ship, and Kirk is appealing to Flint's compassion. People on the Enterprise will die if they don't get back a supply of Rytalin. McCoy says Rigelian fever is like the bubonic plague, and that really strikes a nerve with Flint. He says, okay, he'll let them stay for a couple of hours and get what they need, but then they have to leave. Turns out Flint's not such a bad guy once you get to know him. In fact, that destructive, shooty, killy robot that was hovering around before the M4 now gets the order to go fetch the crew all the right talent they can handle. In the meantime, Flint invites the crew to his rather impressive home, really more of a castle. 
So they all go in, like Flint. His pad is really cool. The guy is quite a collector. He's got artwork by Leonardo da Vinci and Reginald Pollock, Shakespeare's folio, a Gutenberg Bible. Flint says he's alone, except for his robot assistant. Oh, but wait. Someone is watching all of this on a monitor from another room. When Flint leaves the crew, he enters that room to find a beautiful woman. His daughter? Definitely not. Wife? Girlfriend? She seems a little distant, but she's curious about the strangers. The guys are enjoying a brandy when M4 shows up with a bag full of Ritalin. Flint even offers to have it processed, and Mai has his attitude change, even invites him to stay for dinner. It's an offer certainly they can't refuse now that a beautiful woman has stepped into the room. Act 2. Raina, the young lady has a name, is the daughter of a family who were employed by Flint. Her parents died and he took her in. She is awfully smart. She wants to talk with strangers about physics, medicine, the universe, everything. They'll even play a little billiards and she'll wipe the table with them. Kirk is impressed. Yeah, he is impressed. Spock plays a waltz, and what kind of guest would Kirk be if he didn't cut a little rug with Raina? He is even more impressed. In fact, Kirk seems to be making a real connection with Raina. And might that be a little twinge of jealousy showing on Flint's face? Ah, no worry. McCoy is concerned that the Ritalin seems to be tainted and won't work as the antidote to the Rigelian fever. Spock is just more concerned with the fact that the waltz was written by Brahms and yet totally unknown. Kirk is more concerned about anything other than that. In the lab, Kirk is joined by Rana. She's having a kind of existential crisis, to put it bluntly. She's lonely, but doesn't really understand her loneliness. She respects Flint, but... Hmm. These are some interesting feelings surfacing now that Kirk is here. Gets very tender. Kirk is comforting, and he goes in for a kiss when, wouldn't you know, M4 shows up ready to break the Kirk mojo. Act 3. M4 is in no mood to negotiate. It's got Kirk cornered, and it won't even listen to Raina's begging it to stop. Fortunately, Spock was nearby and able to get off a phaser blast to disintegrate M4. Flint is seemingly okay with the whole thing, because who should glide in now but a duplicate M4? Just a subtle and then not-so-subtle reminder that Flint is in charge. What better way to do that than to take Kirk down a peg or two in front of Raina? But Spock clues in quicker than Kirk that there is some jealousy in play. Spock is putting together the other pieces to the puzzle. He figures that from his tricorder reading, Flint is more than 6,000 years old, but he's definitely human. Flint has been watching everything on the monitor, but he assures Raina that he will let them go with the right talent they need. Spock leaves for the lab as Raina joins Kirk to say goodbye, and Kirk finally gets that kiss without getting Kirk blocked by that wayward security system. He asks her to join him on the Enterprise since he knows she loves him rather than Flint. In the lab, McCoy tells Spock that that robot stopped processing the right talent, which means Flint must want them to stay. When they report this to Kirk, he's ready to just take what they need, assuming Flint is up to no good. They decide to enter the private area of the lab on their own, though Spock is a bit hesitant to let Kirk go in. And there they find the right talon. Oh, and also they find a bunch of beds with individually numbered robot bodies of Reyna in stages of assembly. Might be time we had the talk with Kirk. 
maybe not the talk, but a talk, the kind of talk you have to have when you realize your best friend's girlfriend is just one of many robots off an assembly line. Act four. Kirk is a little shaken. Flint shows up to explain what's going on. He is thousands of years old, and he took on the guise of all those great men of history, Brahms, Da Vinci, Alexander, Lazarus, oh, 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 and Methuselah. He was born in Sumeria, and he simply never died any time he should have. Like Madonna, he would reinvent himself over the centuries and acquire new knowledge. He would also lose everyone he loved. Flint makes a power play by miniaturizing the Enterprise, but when Reyna enters the room, McCoy points out that any violence on his part would push her further away. Flint lets go and returns the Enterprise back to its normal size in space. Here's what's been going on. Flint built Reyna because the solitude of immortality has probably left him with a string of widows. When the landing party showed up, they, well, Kirk, awakened a little more emotional response in her. Thank you very much, Kirk. Now Flint will just keep her as his own. Then it turns all eighth grade playground in the lab with Kirk and Flint throwing punches over a girl. I love my robot girlfriend. No, I love my robot girlfriend. Raina then asserts a little initiative based on the emotional weight of the scene. She realizes she can't be owned by Flint and Spock is just kind of yawning about these two men fighting over a robot. Flint wants her to stay. Kirk wants her to go. Raina then really has some problems with her programming. She's emotional, and the power of her conflicted feelings and love causes her to drop to the ground, deactivated. Spock figures that the power and contradiction of her emotions led to her undoing. Back on the ship, wow, Kirk is having a really hard time with this whole thing. It's like he's never lost a love before. See also Edith Keeler, Delia, Ilan Shanna at all. Spock drops by Kirk's cabin to let him know that the antidote for Agelian fever is working, and Kirk is just not himself. He falls asleep at his desk as McCoy drops by with a little news of his own. Flint is now dying at a normal rate. Seems that when he left Earth, his powers were reduced. McCoy tells Spock about the power love has to change people, the agony and the ecstasy, as it were. He also mentions that he wishes Kirk could forget her. When he leaves, Spock walks over to the sleeping Kirk with a new trick, what looks like a Vulcan mind meld, only with the word forget suggested to the captain. And now we know why the crew never remembers anything from week to week. If, if only they had revealed that in every episode. Then it would be optimist. fine. Then, then it'd it would be like, hurt. yeah, right. In fact, Spock must have gotten a little worried a couple of weeks ago when Sulu was like, hey, what about that time on Genesis 6? <laughs> hey, wait a minute. What? Yeah. We've, yeah. Uh, we've never been to Genesis 6, Sulu. Yeah. Forget. <laughs> Remember that cloaking device? No, no. Apparently, nobody remembers the cloaking what device. What cloaking device? Romulan, you say? What is a Romulan? <laughs> Their it ale is good. So but, much. Yeah, yeah. It explains so much. It, you know, it, it's. I, I. I get why they did it. I understand that it humanizes mm -hmm. Spock. We may come back to that later. But seriously, mm -hmm. that has got to be a violation of Starfleet protocol. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wish he could forget. Oh, well, he can. Well, okay, I was just wishing. Hold on. And that's the other thing. Is he going to tell McCoy? <laughs> right. 
McCoy's going to be still expecting him to be, so you still sad about that girl? Girl? What girl? <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> I forgot to mention, uh, Dr. Yeah. McCoy, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> oh, man, what a can of worms now. I know. Quite Gosh. possibly the most revealing episode of Star Trek ever. Yeah. Man, here's the thing. I felt watching this episode... I felt like I'd been put in a time machine and I went back to those heady days of 1966, 1967, and early 68. It felt like season one and two of Star Trek again. Why? It did. It just, it, it felt like here was a show about ideas and, uh, and, and it wasn't Spock's brain and it wasn't and the children shall lead. I, it just, I don't know, it, it felt right. Okay. For some reason. You're going to have to explain that to me in the next segment. I will then. All right. Yeah. I didn't get it. I did not. Really? I, I did not get that feeling. I did not get season one feeling off it. It's not the worst of season three, but I didn't get season one off it at all. But we can talk about that in a bit. Very interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, cool that we have, uh, we, we predicted large screen flat panel TVs. Yeah, but, very neat. but not the remote control. Oh, he's got to go. He's going to walk up to the TV. I know. It kept like every time he just kept going up and hitting that button. And I was like, really? He's got a robot. You know, I mean, he's got a remote control as a matter of fact. M4, could you see what else is on, please? And then M4 might say, you know, I'm going to build you a little thing where I don't have to float in here and do this every five minutes. Right. Or you could get up off your, uh, off your, yeah. off your legginged behind and, uh, uh, and uh, do it yourself. Go up your 6,000-year-old keister and come change the channel. It actually right. felt to me, though, because we kept seeing the TV from the back. It kept feeling to me like he was watching it on a really big laptop. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. That's anyway. True. Yeah. Kind of neat. Um, yeah, speaking of M4, do not confuse him with Nomad. And uh, also do not confuse him with the M5, yep. which was Daystrom's computer, um, which there had to be an M4 in there somewhere, but this is a different M4. Also, we learned something very interesting in this episode. Uh, it is totally okay if you are in Starfleet and you drink brandy while on a mission. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, although I, I was offended by the fact that it's 100-year-old brandy. Mm -hmm. They're just knocking it back. Yeah. <laughs> right. You can barely taste it. You're like, oh, this is good. <laughs> you just suck the whole thing back. We did learn a bit about the Vulcans, though, I think, in this episode. Uh -huh. Maybe why they uh, tamp down their emotions so much. The second Spock feels one, he's like, I'll have one of those. Yeah, right. I'm I feeling like a twinge of envy. I'll give you a drink. Exactly right. I know you wouldn't drink, Spock. Oh, no, no. I'm feeling something. So please, for the love of God, get me a drink. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I've pointed out so many times before how when we have security cameras and, and anything that is captured on tape in the world of Star Trek. And in this one, we see it again, that security camera is mounted on a dolly. Yeah. So you, you have the, that kind of romantic shot going around Kirk and Raina having the kiss, you know, the yeah. camera just keeps moving. It's just great. There was a guy really doing his job in Flint's place, holding a camera. Right. <laughs> but we know it was an M4. I also I really like the production design in this episode. Uh, so it seems like every penny that they did not spend on actors <laughs> went to the set, you know, because we, we don't get a lot of the rest of the Enterprise crew. Get the main three down there, get two guest stars. We're done, yeah. you know, um, but I, I like the mix of the very old with the 60s futurism. You know, you have the old cast, or you have the old art on the walls and the giant wooden doors, but then you have all the 
reused props from every other futuristic thing Star Trek ever did. I live in a house like that. Yeah. <laughs> do you say you do or you would? I would. Oh, okay. I, would. Yeah. I don't know. You haven't seen my place. Maybe I do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the cat's out of the bag now, dude. I yeah. know you don't, but nice try. And finally, I just want to throw out a line to one of the things that uh, Kirk says. Kirk says his suspended crew is worse than dead. And, a, and, and I thought, well, really? Because, I mean, to me, just from a purely pragmatic point of view, I thought worse than dead is like, well, if, they, if they're dead, they're definitely dead. We can't do anything about it. If they're suspended. We can get them back, maybe. You know, well, they, they, had to, they had to go from a state of not being suspended into a state of being suspended. Yeah. I, so. Well, I see. I, well, okay. First of all, dead's not dead in Star Trek. And you don't even have to be a Vulcan. I mean, for that to yeah. be the case, because we can go no, back in true. time. We just do it so much now. Yeah. So right. all you do is go back in time and just, you know, tell them to turn left instead of right. Right. Or you know, go back to the uh, go back to the shore leave planet and just say, here, fix this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or stop by any one of the godlike creatures on the way back to the shore leave planet and mm-hmm. say, hey, can you, can you, because I know you can do some neat stuff. Hey, you're good. Right. Anything? No? All right. Well, then. <laughs> on to the next one. I'm going to go to the pleasure planet then. But thank you very much. I appreciate it. No, no, you're still godlike. <laughs> no, I mean, it, there's actually, to me, there's actually something to that whole thing, though, of Kirk saying, you know, that suspended animation is worse than dead. It it, it ties into his whole, you know, um, free will versus paradise thing. Mm. I mean, mm. he'd rather be dead. He would rather be dead than have than than to, basically than to not be able to do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. And so suspended animation would strike him as an absolutely terrible thing. It kind of reminds me too of the whole uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thing. Do you know uh, the whole when when one of them, either Guildenstern or Rosencrantz, I can't remember which, is is mm. perseverating over the whole being dead or being alive. It's the whole mm. being in a box part that bothers him. Oh, right. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You asked me, would you rather be dead in a box or alive in a box? You'd say alive because, you know, there's always a chance you can get out. Right. But it's the end of box that bothers them. And so, I don't know. I I know it was just a throwaway thing to you, but when you say, you know, worse, you know, suspended animation is worse than dead. Personally, I don't think so. Kirk, absolutely. (laughs) And by (laughs) the way, he would have no problem deciding that for the 429 people who serve oh, no, under him. Yeah, he's, he's set. Well, yeah. I was thinking, Captain, maybe it would be okay to be in suspended animation. No, 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 Scotty. Oh. <laughs> really, no. you would rather be dead. I, I, I think it, no. <laughs> and to prove it, I know how to blow up the ship, and I don't mind doing it from exactly. time to time. Oh, Scotty, give me, give me a little help on this, though, would you? Kirk's problems with suspended animation are kind of funny. I'll bet he struggles with serious bouts of insomnia. And now, dear listeners, something I don't know that we've ever done on uh, Mission Log, a dramatic reenactment of a scene from Requiem for Methuselah. In this scene, I will be playing the devastatingly handsome, incredibly intelligent Spock. And John will be playing the lovely and talented Reina. What else interests you? Everything. Less than that is a betrayal of the intellect. And scene. Wow, well done. Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah. no, to you. To you. No, no, really, I, I, you. you know, if I weren't it, it playing a like Vulcan, Spock. I'd be in love. Yeah. <laughs> I pulled that line because I thought it was so good and until we did it. Um, <laughs> my, 
But I, I thought that was a great way to introduce the idea of a, a, a female android who is not Sherry Jackson in What Are Little Girls Made Of? Because you and I have expressed uh, how great Sherry Jackson in What Are Little Girls Made Of? was. She, she may just be the gold standard of android women in science fiction. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, well, she's lovely. I mean, she I, is lovely. Hats off to the costume director. Right, right. But but the, the great thing about this is I, I thought it was a really clever way to lead into everybody. You, you see, uh, you see it in Kirk, you see it in Spock, you see it in McCoy that they're all taken with her. Mm. Um, that that she is so effusive about knowledge and um, well, everything. She says everything. Less than that is portrayal of intellect. And I would go so far as to say that that is a great attitude to have. That uh, if, you, if you don't study everything, you're portraying your intellect. It's also an easy attitude to have when you're a freaking machine that was built to do it. She doesn't know that. I know she doesn't, she doesn't know, that. know that. I know she doesn't know that, <laughs> but I, I don't understand you're applauding it. What? Because you know well, that. I mean, you, you've heard yeah. that she's a robot, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm all right. Mm-hmm. All right. Fine. I've been told. I've all been right. told. But she she presents she presents an intellectual interest, uh, yeah. a desire for education. Yes, and uh, and I, I think that is laudable. Okay, well, it would there be laudable go. again if she were a person. She she doesn't know she's not a robot yet. Doesn't matter that she doesn't know that she's not a robot. I'm not sure why you find it laudable because you know that she is. Well, maybe we just learned something from a robot that is a good idea to uh, – we learned something from a robot who didn't know that she was a robot. It's getting too meta. No, All I right. mean it's a, it's, a cute, it's a cute line. It's a great line. It would be a great thing if yeah. we came across somebody who felt that way. Um, I, you sure. could argue that Methuselah felt that way, although he doesn't really have much choice. I mm-hmm. guess he could waste eternity just watching TV. I mean, mm-hmm. or, you know, doing something. I mean, there are definitely other things he could do. I mean, he made a lot of money, but it sounds like he made a lot of money just so he could get away. Right. I mean, it sounds right. like he really built himself up so that he could remove himself from people because being around people became too painful. Yeah. So, I mean, to see that kind of thing in in somebody who is long-lived or even somebody who's short-lived, for that matter. I mean, it's kind of mm-hmm. neat. But, I mean, to say, wow, she's a neat character because she just wants to learn. Well... Because she was programmed to just want to learn. Yeah. Yeah, yes, she was. All right. I want to go back to something I mentioned before. Okay. I, I mentioned before how, to me, this felt like earlier Star Trek. It didn't feel like season three Star Trek. And here's the thing. We just did this episode of The Mark of Gideon where it felt like the writers had not seen Star Trek mm-hmm. at all. And even though it was written by DC Fontana and John Meredith Lucas, and they know Star Trek like nobody knows Star Trek, right. it just felt like what, did nobody read this? Anybody figure? But this one, it, we're on familiar territory. You know, I already mentioned what a little girl's made of, and definitely there's a lot of uh, shared DNA in those episodes. Even if drinking is out of character for Spock, all the this felt very justified and it felt very believable. Now, there are things that I, I will agree with you are not believable. I know we're going to get to a big thing that is not believable uh, coming up. Maybe but, we should go um, ahead and get to it now. And then if I can, maybe if I can go ahead and get past that. Okay, go ahead. Go and no, finish what you were going to say, but we're going to have to hit well, that I, quick. 
yeah, I, I was going to say that that to me the the fact that we had an episode again where you're presented with this idea and you are presented with the the conflict over the idea and the idea of discovery, you know, McCoy and Spock and Kirk putting the pieces together and figuring out who this guy is. It just it felt like older Star Trek. Now the the bar has been lowered a bit in season three. You know, uh, I'll give you that. There have been some clunkers and there have been some some nice gems to find among season three. But this felt like a gem and it felt like, oh, good, we're getting the old guard back. We're getting a writer who kind of knows these characters a little better mm-hmm. to come back. Um, so def- that, that's what I meant by that. You've definitely got a writer here. And I, and I really do appreciate that. I mean, there are actually things. There's one problem. It's like they rewrote the Bible for season three. And I don't know. I mean, almost to the point that I want to know if it was in Shatner's contract that he got to kiss somebody every single episode. Because (laughs) this whole thing hinges on the fact that, well, yeah, she's going to be in love with him and he's going to be in love with her. There's no question. Yeah. I mean, that's not even a question, you know, and and it's getting to be a joke by the end of, of season three that that Kirk is going to meet the love of his life this week. He's going to lose her, yeah. too. And maybe occasionally Scotty will, and maybe occasionally Bones will. But mostly what's going to happen is Kirk is going to end up in a situation that he's got to kiss his way out of, right? And yeah. and, and yeah. That, that, that kills this episode for me, or almost kills this episode for me. There is stuff in this episode that I like, but really, she should have fallen in love with Spock. I mean, honestly, mm. she should have fallen in love with Spock. I'm watching it the whole time going, why is she interested in Kirk? She should be in love with Spock because Spock can challenge Methuselah intellectually. I know he doesn't think so, but he can. It doesn't take Spock any time to figure out everything that's going on. Spock doesn't want Kirk to go into the place where they eventually find the Ritalin. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you hit that <laughs> yeah, you because that's what I was thinking uh, the whole time. Um, yeah. it, it, he doesn't want him to go in there because he knows they're going to find a bunch of robot Reynas. I mean, yeah. he, he, he's put all of this together. He knows that it's Leonardo da Vinci and Brahms. He knows right. everything that's going on. And she, it seems to me, should have been in love with him. But we, it's Kirk. It's always Kirk. And, of course, he's going to be in love with her, too. And there was no reason that he should have been in love with her except that she was hot. Kirk is not yeah. the guy who's interested in, like, you know, ever-expanding intellect. In fact, Spock's like... This is really weird. And Kirk's like, save it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean right? So he's not in love yeah. with the brainy girl. He's in love with the beautiful girl. Now, I will say, she's crazy beautiful. I mean, it's, it's oh, sure. like her yeah. face is like weird, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like you look at her and you're just like, well, sure, anybody would fall in love with her. But here's the thing. Anybody would fall in love with her. And a quick aside, somebody really needs to talk to McCoy about reining it in just a tiny bit. When he meets a pretty woman, because this reminds me of when uh, Diana Muldaur was on when she was uh, uh, the woman who couldn't see in the episode. Oh, sure. I can't remember, you know, so I remember the episode. Can't remember the name. Can't remember the character's yeah. name either, but I think we all know. What I'm Is talking there in about. truth, no beauty? Is yeah. there in truth, no beauty? OK, sure. If you say so. Uh, yeah. Not based on Odor Grecian Urn, by the way. I do know that. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Um, I mean, he, he's a little too effusive in his praise. Um, whenever there's a pretty woman around and you could say that sexism, you could say it's not sexism, whatever. I'm just still more bothered by the fact that this whole thing hinges on, yep, of course she's going to fall in love with Kirk and Kirk's going to fall in love with her. Now, 
that would be the only thing that I don't like about the writing in this episode. But it's so glaring yeah. that it gives me it gives me a bit of difficulty. Um, when I say that that uh, Jerome Bixby is a writer, I, it goes so far as I'm wondering about the names that he chose, like Flint, right? Is he yeah. the spark of creativity and humanity? Is he the spark yeah. of like everything good? You know, like you uh-huh. use a flint to like uh-huh. you know light a fire, that kind of thing. Um, right. Got me to the point of wondering about like the name Reina, which I looked up, and I'm a little confused now, more than I was in the okay. beginning. <laughs> All right. What I came across online was if you spell it one way, R A Y N A, it's uh, it's uh, Yiddish, maybe. Although I also heard that it was a uh, 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 Hebrew, which I know there's a similarity, but they're not the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means song or song of God or pure. Now, mm-hmm. if it's R-E-Y-N-A, it, it, it's a Spanish derivation and it means queen mm-hmm. or, you know, like ruling kind of thing, right? Rain, rain, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. the thing is, I also read that they're interchangeable. <laughs> oh, okay. So I went like three, four, five different places and kept getting sort of circular stuff. So any of those are kind of interesting as far as this character. Yeah, um, yeah. If if it's song or pure, that's interesting, especially considering the blank slate that she turns out right. to be. If it's right. if it's ruling or if it's like you know queen, then it's kind of interesting because it's interesting to think of her as a as a character coming into her own. Not exactly mm. the coming of age story that we talked about uh, an episode or two ago, but you know there is a certain awakening here, and is it an awakening of females in a male dominated society is it is it going from a kid or what's expected of you to you know making your own decisions and deciding for yourself? I yeah, found her, both her emotional life you know? yeah, yeah, uh, all of which is interesting, sadly, it ends poorly for her. Sure. <laughs> so I'm yeah. not sure yeah. that that's actually your message. I thought it was kind of neat that, you know, we saw that, that, that change, that growth in her. We got to be present for that moment of growth in her, which lasted about a moment, you know. Right. Um, that was kind of too bad. But, I mean, so so don't misunderstand. When I say the whole thing about Kirk, I'm not – I think Jerome Bixby is actually an interesting writer. And I think he brings some interesting ideas to the table. Yeah. And I almost feel like all of them are undone by the fact that we didn't see her fall in love. She just did. We didn't see Kirk fall in love. He just did. Oh, because you're yeah. the handsome guy and she's the hot babe this week. So, you know, yep. uh, thank God I don't have to write that part. <laughs> you know, and it felt like <laughs> right. maybe a minute of writing on that wouldn't have been bad. I I agree with you. I, I mean, as much as I do like this, I, I feel like the whole Kirk Reyna relationship is the thing that plays false. And unfortunately, so much of the episode hinges on that. But yeah. for some reason, I was able to I was able to watch. I was able to cringe a little bit, and then just kind of put it away because I think I was so interested in kind of the the science fictiony precept of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So had had it gone through and you know let's say in a perfect world jerome bixby turns this in and it's not fred friedberger who's the executive producer but it's bob justman who grabs the script it's gene roddenberry who edits the script you know whatever that that right combination would have been Mm -hmm. um or maybe this is a a 90 minute feature length thing to really explore all of that Mm -hmm. um I, I get it. I, I get where you're coming from. Uh, there are a lot of character things here that are hard to justify. I mean, uh, Kirk, as uh, as someone might say, maybe even um, 
the executive producer of the show, uh, Kirk's behavior is a little, um, oh, not Cat-ish. very respectable. Caddish. Yes. Well, yes. it is and uh, it isn't. I read that note too, which sadly yeah. none of it, none of it we can read. <laughs> Rod's opinion seems to be that Kirk kind of oversteps his bounds, and I would disagree with that honestly, because Rena's not in love with um, uh, Methuselah, whose Flint. name is not Methuselah. Yeah. Thank you. Rena's not in love with Flint, and and yeah. Flint actually kept Kirk there because he saw that Rena was starting to be stirred. Flint's been trying to elicit some kind of emotional reaction. She's kind of got to do that um, Duncan Idaho thing when Duncan Idaho became the uh, golem, I guess, and uh, not golem. Are they called golems in, in Dune? Mm. God Emperor of Dune, forgive me, I'm going to go aside really quickly. God Emperor of Dune, um, uh, Duke Leto II, has, has, has figured out how he can get Duncan Idaho, who has been a servant of his family for like 2,000 years, to come back to him every time. He basically has to bring him to this emotional cusp where, where Duncan basically wakes up. And that's the kind of thing that, uh, that, uh, that, that Flint has been trying to get to happen with Reyna. And right. he can't make that happen. And then Kirk comes and, and all of a sudden, you know, again, because it's Kirk, she's like, Ugh. yeah, and he sees yeah. that. And so he keeps Kirk around to make that happen. So you yeah. can't really fault Kirk at that point. He was brought there to be her love interest. Now, yeah. again, that shouldn't have worked, but it did. There's no reason it should have worked, but it did. So I don't know that I would say that Kirk is such a cad here because, I mean, Raina had no feeling. Dude hadn't even been telling Raina that he was in love with her. Flint Flint is just kind of there, and she's like, oh, he's nice. He's sweet. He's my teacher. He's the greatest man in the galaxy. Right. But never is that he's my husband. He's my boyfriend. We're in love. Sometimes we, uh, you know, we do, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we get like the people right. of Gideon, if you know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> so I, right. I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I agree with the whole Kirk's a jerk here. Well, the the thing that's harder for me to believe about Kirk is his impassioned defense of her when it turns to fighting at the end. It's like, you know what? We, if we know anything, we know that Kirk uh, is not crazy about androids, particularly android women. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that line uh, of his made me think of you, Ken, the perfect woman. Her only flaw, she's not human. <laughs> you know, the, the, the ultimate <laughs> carbon chauvinist line. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is a bit. Um, well, except then it he, is. He, but he gets so totally taken by it, too. He tells Spock to back off because they're fighting over a woman. Right. And Spock says, right. no, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Which was kind of yeah, weird. But, well, it, in my mind, Kirk was like, or Spock was thinking like, yeah, you're fighting over a woman. Okay. <laughs> Knock it off. That was kind of weird, actually, that that was justification yeah. as far as Kirk was concerned. If they'd been yeah, fighting over something, yeah. you know, else, it would have been, yeah. it would have been yeah. silly. But they're fighting over a woman. So then it's cool. So then Spock's like, yeah, you're right. So then Spock's like, okay, no, you're not. If that's if that's really what you think this is about, then no, you aren't. Because if it actually had been a woman, he would have been, you're right. He probably would have been like, yeah, and why? Right. So that was kind of the weird thing. But uh, so let's go kind of back to what you said. Because I had a, a similar note to myself that, you know, let's look at this as an experiment. You know, mm-hmm. Flint has built these multiple versions of Reyna. And now Kirk's presence has changed the conditions of the experiment. And and actually it made Reyna into what Flint wanted. 
it, it, it fired off the emotion chip for lack of a better word, lack of a better explanation. Yeah. Um, so, so the experiment in that respect is a success. The only problem then is Flint deciding he would keep her as his own. And, and obviously we have argued whether or not Kirk's reaction to that is even appropriate, you know? Um, so Flint, then are we saying that he, he's got a point, you know, Flint, this is still Flint's project. Um, the new and improved Reina would not be who she is without Kirk's influence. Uh, okay. But Flint built her that way. Um, so I, part of me really comes down on the side of Flint. Now we, we get into the argument of, uh, uh, artificial or shall we say manufactured intelligence and if at a certain point you have to give up the idea of ownership right. over that um which i i think in reina's case had she survived <laughs> you know <laughs> um, had she survived we would have had that there's the next hour of the episode that never got written to me this it, you know flint actually did get what he wanted in in some respect and that knowledge could actually go into well, is he going to do it again? Is he going to build another version of this? According to Spock, no. He's changed his vocation by the end of the episode when he finds out that he is dying. No, uh, it was Bones, but go ahead. Oh, Bones, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, but that that's what I found to be very uh, uh, interesting about that. I don't think you can make his property argument. No? No. Because, well, because he made something that was meant to be self-aware. I mean, he's he's been trying to fire off that spark, and let's do the Flint thing again. Actually, he's been trying yeah. to light that. He's been trying to 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 set off that 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 he's well ignite. Mm-hmm. He's been mm-hmm. trying to ignite that level of awareness in her, and and when it finally happens, I mean, at that point, she's beyond his control, and she should be. I mean, I guess technically she might be property, but I mean, once she actually can, you know, think for herself and decide for herself. Yeah. Um, Flint dangles her out there for Kirk and yeah. vice versa. I don't think you can say that Kirk's uh, Kirk's a bad guy in this. I mean, it's just it's just lazy writing to get us there. Or maybe it's not lazy even. Maybe it's just they got 48 minutes. I mean, this is a jam-packed 48 minutes. And I know I'm getting stuck on that one part. Right, right. But that one part is, I mean, because the episode hinges on that one part, you got you to, gotta, you, gotta, you know... Get me to that one part. Don't just drop me off there. Yeah, I mean, See, you might that, as well. You might as well have started the voiceover with, you know, Captain's log. Well, I'm in love. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Because then we could have gone ahead and moved on to other stuff. That we yeah. wasted five minutes showing them falling in love because we don't show it. We just, it's just. I mean, it's like it's like taped on there, and it, it, it kind of that ugh, that part annoys me. I don't know if you can tell. Uh, th- this kind of actually builds my sympathy for Flint. Because, you know, we'll, I've got a lot of notes here about kind of the loneliness that is present throughout the episode. But uh, here's the thing about Flynn. He, he's a guy who just has been through something that nobody else can understand, who just wants a companion. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he, he's constructing this idea of the perfect woman based on all of these experiences. He said he's had 100 wives at least, you know. Um, and when he finally has the breakthrough of a a, a manufactured intelligence mm-hmm. that can love, it, it just backfires right in his face. 
you know, I, I, I feel I feel uh, some sympathy for him for that, because what, what, what's he going to do then? You know, it, does he keep making Reina 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 with the same idea of the emotion chip, something that can be self-aware, something that can love, but then they're not going to be in love with him? Um, yeah, that is kind of a drag. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying I don't feel for him, but I mean, he, yeah. uh, Kirk, you know, with this whole thing where, you know, you used me. Okay, well. Kirk strikes me as a tiny bit more mature than that, but yeah. he's not he's not wrong. I mean, he was used in that respect. And so for that to backfire on on Flint, I guess I'm kind of okay with it. Mm-hmm. Now here's the plan. I, I got a fix for Flint. Okay. So let's let's put this in a time capsule and send it into the future and maybe this will help him. Okay. All right. Uh you build another Reina, let's mm-hmm. make the nineteenth or eighteenth, right. whichever one it is. And then 10 android jerk guys, just total, like, you know, knee biters, right? Okay. Just awful, awful. And then you just be the best, you know, Flint you can be. And she'll (laughs) fall in love with you. There you go. Problem solved. Wait, wait, let me do this. There we go. (laughs) I have solved. It's kind of exciting because I've now now, uh, solved the problem for Da Vinci. What I mentioned about Flint was that he is lonely. His version of loneliness is his immortality. He can't form long-lasting relationships with uh, naturally occurring people because they will be dead. Um, So he has to create one. But everybody, everybody in this is lonely. And I thought that was an interesting theme throughout that, you know, Raina, because she isn't real and she can't really experience love or a life outside of Flint, at least in any way that this version of Reyna. Um, Kirk, because, you know, once again, he can't get the girl permanently in this one. She is now deactivated. Um, and Spock, he, he's emotionally cut off from everyone around him. He's got to have that drink <laughs> once the uh, once envy creeps in. Um, he, he's trying to fit in with the others. So, I thought that the those character moments to kind of tie them all together uh, served a strong thread mm-hmm. for the episode. A um, couple of the things that I uh, that I thought about. I mean, science fiction has done this a lot, where we talk about the downside of immortality. Um, that it, it opens up these problems that we haven't even begun to grapple with. Um, and, you know, every few years you'll see that in kind of popular media about a, a scientific breakthrough that will tantalize us with the possibility of extended or possibly indefinite lifespans. And and then we realize the, the cold, hard reality of that. Well, okay, what if we're indefinitely alive but we're 120 years old and we don't have our all of our physical faculties and what do we do about overpopulation? And, you know, there's all these issues that come up with that. So I respect that science fiction is an interesting place to deal with that problem. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting, and, and I think Rod and I both picked up on this, is the idea of Flint having been everybody who was important, <laughs> you know? And I mentioned Jerome Bixby's movie, uh, Man from Earth, and you'll see a similar thing played out there, though with mm-hmm. some different characters. Um, well, he's not but, everybody. I mean, you jokingly said he was Lazarus, but he wasn't. I mean, Laz- no, he, Lazarus was actually a name they didn't mention. 
Right, 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 right. And um, he wasn't and, Einstein. I mean, he can actually only be everybody up to the point where we starting start having uh, photographic representation, right? Yeah. Then you got to lay low, which is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, you can be really the only mention. I mean, he well, he mentioned a lot of people. He sort of rambled off a lot of names, but. Did he say he was Moses, or did he say he knew Moses? He says he knew Moses. Okay, I'm okay with Socrates that. And, you know, and, and that was kind of cool. Yeah, you know? and I'm okay with that. You can be, I mean, if you're smart enough. I think the problem that I had, honestly, was that he was smart enough to know that he should get an original Shakespeare and an original Gutenberg Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that he was like, yeah, oh, that's going to be important. I'm going to grab that. Yeah, saving that. And I know that because it just <laughs> right. came out yesterday. You know, I mean, it's that, that, that part bothered me more than, because he's an exceptional guy, right? And if yeah. you've got a long time to be around, then even – I mean maybe he wasn't even that exceptional to begin with. But you know, after two or three or four hundred years, you might you know, start learning a thing or two about a thing or two. You can be Brahms if you've got 300 years to learn to write and play music. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. that, didn't, that didn't bother me quite so much. Yeah. If you were – well, yeah, Seaman from Earth. um and i think we should wrap up our our topical discussion here uh uh, the way that the episode wrapped up uh let's talk about that one of us has to die what if no one of us has to forget no let's talk about that mind meld oh um no uh, we well i I don't know if you remember but we began with that (laughs) actually we did that after your closing thing there um it may have actually affected you I, I want to talk about the more serious side of that. All right. Yeah. Um, first of all, is that a huge invasion of privacy that uh, Spock takes it upon himself to make the captain forget? Um, this, this to me, so interestingly uh, describes the duality of Spock that um, this to me is uh, an act of compassion. It's a huge act of compassion mm-hmm. that he sees his friend hurt. So he goes to try to stop the pain. Um, he could justify it logically, saying the captain was incapable of doing his job. I, I had to give him the medicine to make him able to do his job. And it just happened that that medicine was to make him forget the robot girlfriend that he had. Um, but, you know, we've seen Kirk love and lose a few times. You know, mm-hmm. look at a lot of Troyes. He's okay according to McCoy, as long as he's got the Enterprise. Um, so it, it seemed like just kind of a, a matter of convenience that this is the episode that he had to do, um, that he had to do that, the, the forget thing. Um, and I just wonder, knowing what we know about Kirk, would it not have been easier for him to get over uh, an artificial girlfriend than it would for him to get over a real girlfriend? Um, or would that have just been like uncomfortable for people on the ship? You know, welcome to the Enterprise. Here's our captain, and uh, and there's his robot girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> you know, don't talk about her. Yeah, right. Just don't even talk about. We don't talk about her. After everything that I just said about feeling like the whole thing with Kirk was lazy, I'm mm. almost willing to forgive that part of it because of Bixby and his writing. Mm. And that may sound crazy, but I mean, he gave us more depth from Spock, mm. which is kind of interesting. It's also wrong. <laughs> it's it's yeah. very wrong because here's the thing. Either Spock has to go and erase her memory from McCoy too or he has to tell McCoy that he's done it. Yeah. And at that point, McCoy's going to be like, 
have you ever done that before? <laughs> right, right. And then Spock's going to say, no, I've never done that before. And McCoy's going to be like, okay, but like, really? Because now it occurs to me you might have done it to me. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a lot about that. Yeah, you, you kind of want that to be a sweet moment that you don't think about too much. Because if you do, that'll just wreck the rest of the show for you. Well, and what if Spock made Kirk forget too much? Yeah. And he's like, uh, you know, McCoy comes and like, hey, we uh, we cured the Rigelian fever. What Rigelian fever? Right, right. <laughs> Rigelian fever. That was the thing with the... With the wait, thing. We had that? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> and, and does Kirk have to go back and review their mission logs? You know? <laughs> what? <laughs> does he listen to his own captain's log? I, I would be... I would be interested how that plays out. Or like when they play it up, you know, when they play it at uh, Starfleet, like six months from now, and then some admiral with a heart of gold calls him and he's like, hey, by the way, sorry about your girl. Yeah. It's, why does everybody keep saying yeah, that? Although in this season, you know, Kirk would be like, yeah, which one? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, Kirk belittles Dr. Corby's Andrea for being a robot that thinks it's in love, then falls crazy in love with Flint's robot, Raina. Three seasons can really change a starship captain. All right, Ken 17, Ken 18, Ken 19, whichever issue model you are that yeah. is doing Mission Log with me. Um, now I get to, uh, to see if your uh, emotional and cognitive chips are all firing at the same time. And uh, you get to tell me what you thought of this episode. First of all, we will uh, tackle the question of whether or not the episode Requiem for Methuselah holds up today. Um, I, I have such a problem. I have such a problem with any time. Oh, as I say, we're just talking about the episode. I have but, such uh, a problem. Right. <laughs> I have such. Su- oh, I'm sorry. This is a symptom of the Mark 20. <laughs> I have such a problem with um, we're just supposed to believe, you know, and this takes me out of honestly a good action movie as well. And that may sound like a crazy thing to liken Star Trek to, but I hate in an action movie when there's a woman and there's the guy who, you know, it catches bullets with his teeth and spits them back out at the bad guy and takes out his eye and the back of his head pops off. And oh, obviously she's in love with him. I don't mm. like when we're given a relationship for no other reason than, well, they're because they're supposed to. They're supposed to have a relationship. I mean, we don't yeah. know. We, there is no indication why she would be in love with Kirk, except that he's the captain of the Starship Enterprise. That's it. She sees him and she's in love with him. And yeah, there's something to that. I mean, we certainly had that in The Godfather. We've certainly had that, you know, in real life in some occasions. I mean, it, I, it, it just bothers me. that, And he is so adamant at that point. I, You know, hey, I just met you. And this is crazy, but come live on my spaceship with me. Leave yeah. this guy and come be with me forever based on seven and a half minutes of our being together. Right. You know what I mean? Right. That is that to me is such uh, that that makes this episode so difficult for me. Now, there's a lot of stuff in it that I like. I like, like I say, there the, the idea of the wordplay that I think is probably there because I think Bixby is that intricate in his yeah. writing, that I believe that Flint is meant to be a spark of something. I, I believe that Reyna, that that name, I don't think he is somebody who chooses a name because it sounds neat. I feel like he, I feel like he takes a lot of time in a lot of the stuff that he's doing. And I think that's 
probably part of why I'm so disappointed by the fact that he took no time in deciding that they should be together. So I don't know. I mean, I guess really the answer to your question is I don't know. It's I, I tried to think maybe it was about her, you know, sort of coming to her own or or sort of her awakening, but that kills her. It mm. would have been better for her had she never woken up, unless you go to the whole, you know, or maybe not. I mean, maybe Kirk would say it's better that she died there, that she died there having come to some sort of realization, witness what he said about, you know, his crew, suspended yeah. animation. That's worse than being dead. Maybe if she never has that awakening and dies, then he thinks she's just a useless machine. Maybe he's in love with the robot because it had that moment, that moment of realization. I don't know. I mean, the one thing I will say is this episode does give you a decent amount to think about, I think. But I, I'm doing it in spite of the giant failing that is, you know, well, it's season three. So, of course, yeah, Kirk's in love this episode. What about you? You liked well, it a lot more than I did, I can tell. Yeah, I mean, I don't, first of all... Let me, it, it, I'm sorry, forgive me. Let me back up. Okay. I don't, right. I don't dislike it. Okay. I'm annoyed by that part. To the point hmm. that to the point that I find it hard to recommend. Oh, interesting. Okay, but but that's you know, I I think I'm being really hard on that one part, and I'm not sure why exactly. Um, it, it's interesting to me that in the 50 years, nearly 50 years since this uh, episode aired, mm-hmm. that uh, we've come so far from uh, the the problem of having a robot girlfriend to then the uh, the great Robin Roixop pop song "I'm in Love with a Robot." Uh, check that out and add that to your uh, iTunes library. No, I, I really do think this episode holds up. Um, it is an episode that reminds me of some of the great episodes before because thematically we get to go back to this. We get to talk about uh, artificial intelligence. We get to talk about robots. We get to talk about the differences and that maybe gray similarity. When when does something manufactured then get treated like a human being? and have things like freedom um, and is no longer property. So I I love that we got to do that again. That's what made me feel uh, excited about those older episodes as well. There are things that I don't buy here. I don't buy Kirk falling in love so fast. I don't buy him losing his composure quite so fast in the end there. Um, But in this case, I kind of don't care because for me, it worked on two levels. It, It worked on the idea of we got to talk about cool and important science fiction concepts. We got character stuff like examining the loneliness of the characters involved. We got to ruminate on this idea of immortality or a a vastly expanded lifespan and what that would really mean. So we got to think a little bit. And then I also think it sort of feeds into that weird pop culture take on Star Trek. The thing that you hate about this Kirk falls in love right away just because we say that he's in love right away. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of feeds into that weird pop culture thing about, oh, well, yeah, it's Kirk. He's got a babe on every planet. But, you know, yeah, I get annoyed by that, too, because I know that Star Trek is better than that. But it's kind of like, well, maybe for some reason in this episode, I'm willing to forgive it because the other things in the episode were so much more interesting. Do you think you're willing to forgive it as easily as you are because it's in season three? Because uh, I mean, because I mean, you say yeah. you know this got me to think about those old episodes, and I just miss those old episodes. I mean, the fact that we've <laughs> right, the right. fact that we've seen Star Trek handle a lot of this stuff better does not it it, it just it makes me know that they can handle it better. Yeah, 
Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, if, no, like I, even if she had been in love with Kirk and he wasn't in love with her, then I would have been more okay with it. If she had fallen instantly for him and he was kind of skeeved or he sort of like came to it over time, mm-hmm. even that would have been okay with me. It yeah. just, just, just the ready-made, just like the, you know, put a stamp on it. We know this, we, we have to go ahead and just assume this. We have to take this as read either because we don't have time or because we're not creative enough. Yeah. No, I, I know they, they they can't all be Edith Keeler unless I, I know <laughs> unless I mean there yeah. is there's one possibility we know that Vulcans go through Pon Far every seven years mm-hmm. maybe it's every third season for a starship captain yeah maybe well, we'll find out in season six oh, <laughs> oh, oh ah my bad well maybe too... maybe someday there will be another starship captain who will last more than three seasons and we can ask him. <laughs> so if I look at this episode just as a piece of TV, as mm-hmm. a piece of vintage nostalgia TV, it, it kind of holds up. It's fun, right. you know, right. uh, okay. but it has some problems for sure, for sure. Um, as a piece of science fiction, yeah, you know, it, it's provocative, like I said. But as Star Trek, as, you know, big iconic Star Trek, I, I really feel like it holds up in some weird way. Because of the great dialogue, because of the character bits that we get, and if we're if we're just going to accept the idea that most of the world that doesn't know Star Trek on an episode by episode intimate basis mm-hmm. <laughs> just thinks of Kirk as the guy who has a new alien girlfriend every week, okay, I'll, I'll give it to you in this one. We're just sort of handing you that trope here so um yeah i'll just go ahead and say that it holds up but more importantly ken more importantly did we learn anything did we get any messages from this episode um i don't think so i mean Mm -hmm. and that's not me bashing it it's just there are some episodes that have you know the heavy messages like uh oh what's that one the corbamite maneuver (laughs) (laughs) well about let that be your last battlefield or let that be your last battlefield i mean there are some you know the trouble with troubles even I mean, to some extent, there are some yeah. that have very definite messages. Um, mm-hmm. And then there are some that are just kind of like uh, interesting examinations. Mm-hmm. And I guess if we're going to assume and this is the thing, I mean, there are a lot of episodes that I would I would throw in the rubbish bin. I would watch this one again. I mean, mm-hmm. it would be fine. I mean, even if I didn't have to, I would watch yeah. it again. It's just it approaches this episode. It feels to me approaches something great. Yeah. And and and. In missing that, it feels like it falls apart to me personally. I know you like it. I mean, I know obviously yeah, you like yeah. it a lot more. Sure, um, sure. It comes close to great, but in missing that, it. I mean, it, it's it's like you know, oh wow, he nearly hit that. <laughs> okay. Right, which right. we also call miss, and that and that's you know that's sadly what it comes to for me. But uh, yeah. so as far as as far as um, a message in it, I I don't personally no but you know i missed a lot in this episode that you saw so you tell me um i i agree with you that this doesn't have the qc timmy moment this is more about exploring ideas um and i feel like one of the other ideas that we didn't really talk about in there in the uh, topical discussion is Sort of the idea of, it, well, if you love someone, you set them free. <laughs> you know, um, Flint got what he asked for. His experiment was a success, as as I said. But then he couldn't handle the fact that a a, a being with some self awareness and an emotional life now is not something that he can control. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was one of the uh, the more interesting outcomes of this. But all the other trappings of science fiction, the 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 immortality, the exploration of um, when artificial intelligence becomes real to us, um, I thought all of that was great kind of uh, just room for us to wrap our minds around. Uh, no, it, it doesn't have the UC Timmy moment doesn't necessarily have to there are great episodes that don't right um so i'm okay with that okay <laughs> i'm fine with that too that's all right not, that was not <clears throat> my issue i don't have any issues no no, no, no. <laughs> wait we're talking about the episode again right? i'm a mark 21 now okay i have no problem i have no problem i have Good. no problem well ken <laughs> mark 21 um if you have no problem i cannot wait to join you next week. Yeah, brother, it's the way to Eden. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Grab your tambourine and gather round. Brother. Next week's episode is going to sound. Sister. We reach. We reach. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.